I'm Angela B. Uh, in Boise, Idaho, um, atheist, agnostics, and all others, and we're listening to Rebellion Dog Radio. Well, welcome back to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a contemporary look at 12-step life. This is episode 53, now with less dogma and more bite. I guess this is the second or third of our in-pandemic radio shows. We're going to back up a little bit just because of a trend I've seen, uh, uh, maybe a silver lining, Zoom trend. We're going to be looking at some of the new people coming to secular recovery, including secular AA. Uh, we got some music, as always, to share with you. Montreal band called No Bro, kind of a punk rock band with all females called No Bro. They have a new song out called Don't Die pandemically friendly. We're going to pause a little bit and sort of go backwards just because there are so many new people uh, coming into the rooms. Sober curious, secular curious. We're going to talk about that. Now, there are plenty of successful secular paths to recovery from substance and or process addiction. There's Life Ring, Smart, Women for Sobriety, Dharma recovery, some would call secular. It's Buddhist-based. There's no deity, no uh, recovery-granting, prayer-answering higher power. Uh, There's SOS, other do-it-yourself approaches. My most recent personal experience is with Zoom meetings, mostly AA meetings, not entirely. And most of those AA meetings, secular AA meetings. From time to time, we have great growth spurts in secular AA that I notice in the first two decades of this millennium anyway. With the prevalence of Zoom meetings, it makes it easier to access secular AA, more so than ever before. I see a surge in interest and attendance in agnostic atheist AA meetings. From my vantage point, I see two sources feeding the growth spurts. As I mentioned, the sober curious newcomer and the secular curious uh, long-term member of AA who's uh, always kind of wondered, what's up with these uh, free thinkers? Now, new people continue to come to AA. And just because of COVID-19, that's not different. Even with the social distancing measures that are rightfully in place, whether they're coming from treatment centers, detox, drug or DUI courts, or they're self-motivated, people are coming to AA on Zoom conferencing and other virtual internet platforms. Some are quick to judge online recovery as superficial or a second-rate version, not as good as face-to-face meetings, you know. That assertion is a feeling, it's not a fact. Even if it's true for you or for me, It isn't a universal truth. Other platforms, even before Zoom, like InTheRooms.com, they've been going gangbusters. While there were face-to-face meetings everywhere, online recovery is a thing. It's really happening. So there's already a crowd that are down with the online meeting format versus the time and energy it takes to go somewhere for a recovery talk. I've not made up my mind about what's better. Probably both will be better. 
a whole generation of new people will be telling their stories in the next months and years about finding recovery online during the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm going to reserve judgment on comparing the effectiveness of online means of one alcoholic talking to another versus our meeting at UOT classrooms or your meeting wherever it meets. Of course, for some, online is preferable. For others, face-to-face is better. But let's think about uh, newcomers to AA who have had no face-to-face experience to compare to Zoom meetings. This uh, sober, curious crowd, not all of them know if they're sticking around. They don't know if they're going to stay with AA or Life Ring or Dharma Recovery, wherever they're going. They don't know how engaged they're going to be. That's normal. That's healthy. Be skeptical. Bring a beginner's mind. Avoid long-term decisions made rationally. Now, there's another category of people who are new to agnostic atheist AA. I call these secular curious. Some have been in AA a long time and never heard of an irreligious way of doing AA. Or maybe they've heard it, maybe even heard disparaging remarks about our watered-down AA, but they're curious enough to check it out. Others left AA, tired of the God stuff. Sometimes people leave AA and they relapse, but not everybody. You might be in the category of AA graduate. You're still free of your substance or process of choice. But like the rest of us, you've got time on your hands and access to Wi-Fi. So here you are, taking a break from Netflix and COVID news or politics. You're checking us out. Checking out this unconventional uh, brand of AA. I don't think secular AA is superior to pray your way to spiritual experience AA. I don't think we're precious or styling. I don't think we suddenly made AA cool again. Nope. But godless AA is absolutely legitimate AA. People on this uh, freethinker path are growing in numbers. Just as North America is growing less religious, more secular, so is AA. Members are making that adjustment. They're starting meetings without a prayer filling an obvious growing need. For years, some atheists have been happy as anyone else in mainstream AA. Even for believers, there's awkward adjustments to sober life and AA culture. People in meetings will declare to us that they uh, owe their sobriety to God's grace. Okay? This doesn't bother a lot of atheists. How could anyone be mad at a God you don't believe in? And why begrudge someone who believes some version of a personal higher power? Belief isn't contagious. You're not catching it off of anybody. The fact that people attribute their AA recovery to an intervening anthropomorphic personal deity, you know, this is a fact. These are the majority of AA. And To many non-believers through AA's history, so what? While this religious majority might be harboring what some call a false worldview as far as rationalists are concerned, 
this error in attribution by uh, the God Squad, it's not a fact worth getting stuck in. Atheists and agnostics see how AA really works, what material actions, material supports, and practical daily activities keep AA sober. We have unabashed non-believers who don't take any shit. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, you know. The steps are suggestions only, right? In many cases, this candid and confident non-believer approach is impervious to any microaggressions or hostility that might come their way. Several atheists active in AA know the 12 traditions, concepts, and service manual better than the big book thumpers and other variations of AA literalists. Atheists are drawn to AA service work. If you find the steps way too gaudy, the 12 traditions only mention a higher power once, and then only as an explanation for how and why groups have no authority or overseer. The directions make the members of their own business meeting the only authority that tells a group what to do. Tradition two is for our group purpose. There's but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They don't govern. Now, the remaining 11 traditions are practical principles based on experience. They're not rules. They're from what historians call the AA flying blind years, what we learned. And in the same way, steps aren't a membership requirement, traditions aren't rules. Groups violate traditions, so do members. But no one gets kicked out of AA. There are no consequences. You might get gossiped about by the group down the road, but dismissing a tradition as unapplicable for you isn't a deal breaker. Some groups rewrite tradition to some agnostic groups just take the god out it means the same thing for a group purpose there is but one authority our group conscience our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern reads fine doesn't it if you get super nerdy and you're curious about how the general service conference and the general service office work you start reading the 12 concepts Ooh, exciting <laughs> Something new to memorize. There's no mention of higher power anywhere in the 12 concepts of world service. There's less turning it over in AA service and more rolling up our sleeves and getting things done. So this is one possible reason you'll see more not-God AAs working on committees than taking the new person through the book, so to speak. Along with our overt non-believers among the general AA population, we also have um, what I'd call closet non-believers. There are clever turns of phrase that can help anyone dance around the whole higher power issue with ambiguous language, and that can keep a rational, natural worldview private from others if that's what you want to do. Some AA non-believers prefer not to draw any attention to themselves. I've been in a meeting where the topic of spiritual awakening was the subject, and I would say things like, you know, you can get a laugh even. 
I don't know that I've ever had a spiritual awakening, but will a rude awakening do? I've had plenty of those. Ha, ha, ha. And everyone moves on, right? So you can stake your claim in AA if you choose to mix it up with the faith-based majority. There's so much more that I think I have in common with people, even though they hold a different worldview. It's not worth quibbling over for many non-believers. In some meetings, the God and prayer stuff doesn't come up much. Not every non-secular AA meeting is drowning in orthodoxy. Groups vary. Many mainstream AA meetings are liberal and emphasize take what you like and leave the rest or live and let live. Other groups are more zealous. While every group is helping a good number of alcoholics, the tone inside the more orthodox meeting might be too instructive or dogmatic for you or for me. They say in AA, if you haven't been to an AA meeting you don't like, you probably haven't been to enough AA meetings. But when it comes right down to it, for some of us, the God talk is distracting, annoying, or a barrier to connecting with the process and the people that are going to be needed to draw upon to get and stay sober. Some non-believers experience microaggression or outright hostility from so-called sober spiritual giants. For some realists, subjecting ourselves to condescending or abusive attitudes and talk, it's, it's unhealthy. Many more religious members, of course, uh, are perfectly supportive. But on the whole, you know, trying to get sober around God talk can be a bridge too far. For non-believers, exposing themselves to meetings like this is a potential conflict. It's like a toxic relationship. And enduring the condescension or the lack of empathy, why not find a way to just eliminate those barriers, those mental gymnastics of trying to conform your talk into G-O-D acronyms like turning your will and life over to a group of drunks or it's the gift of desperation or the great outdoors or good orderly direction or any of that. Why do it if you don't have to? If you want to do it to get along, go for it, of course. No one is saying that believers are willfully bullying the minority non-believers. The very definition of microaggression or systemic discrimination states that it's an undercurrent in a predominantly theistic environment. Microaggression is indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group. Systemic discrimination is described as patterns of behavior, policies, or practices that are part of a structure of an organization that will create or perpetuate disadvantages to a minority group. You see, it'd be one thing if the majority of AA were believers, but the literature and the readings were neutral, neither religious nor irreligious. But AA is not worldview neutral. And while many AAs are quick to say AA is spiritual, not religious, 
By religious, I'm referring to the beliefs, not the organizational structure like a synagogue, a mosque, a temple, or any other uh, institution of worship. A supernatural force is a core tenet of AA, God could and would if he were sought. There is one who has all power, that one is God, may you find him now. There isn't uh, equal ink uh, put to a more sort of scientific or natural way of looking at things. So the language systemically promotes theism, and it even cautions against uh, secular or human power as anything more than, you know, a temporary fix until you find the real thing. While we talk about inclusion and tolerance, the language is one-sided. The atheist view of recovery is not candidly represented in our more infamous AA literature. That's just how it is. So I'm not bashing any big book or a wanting to deconvert happy Joyce and free believers or, you know, let them pray at their meetings with impunity. But if everyone was offered the choice, welcome to AA. This room over here is the higher power AA meeting room. Help yourself. This room over here is the rational AA meeting room. Go in, help yourself. Which would you prefer? What meeting would you choose? Like any special purpose group, the need comes from a need to identify. And we identify with people who talk our language. If the big book talked about teenage angst, we wouldn't need young people's meetings. If it was still 1940, maybe we wouldn't need women's meetings. If non-binary gender language and same-sex couple examples were given in the big book, maybe we wouldn't need LGBTQ plus uh, meetings. And if as much ink was devoted to uh, a rational approach, a humanist approach to uh, sobriety, maybe we wouldn't need secular AA. But we need all of these things. And to AA's credit, that's why there's no meeting format that needs to be vetted for you to call yourself an AA group. We don't need to pass a popularity contest to have our godless heathen meeting approved by anybody. That's where AA is systemically inclusive and tolerant. But just like no one can understand an alcoholic like another alcoholic, no one can explain addiction and recovery in secular terms like another atheist or agnostic can. So, I don't have to tell you all this if you've found your way to secular AA recently. <laughs> That's where we're at. So, today's podcast is a welcome letter, or a chapter. I don't know how long this is going to take. <laughs> but we got time. <laughs> where are we going to go? Um, uh, so it's, uh, sort of, uh, Secular AA 101. Regulars at agnostic, humanist, freethinkers groups, they know all of this stuff and they could spout it out just as well as I'm doing, maybe better, more concisely. But this episode, we take a pause from our accelerating rhetoric and look at the basics of secular AA. <laughs> <laughs>
This is John S. And I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. And I am listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio. In the last uh, few weeks and months, there's been so many people coming to check out this new irreligious approach to Alcoholics Anonymous. Why not review the basics? We, we got a little bit of hot off the press stuff for regulars. But as ye olde cliche goes, the most important person in the room is the newcomer. If you've recently found us, or put another way, if I was coming to recovery for the first time today, I might go beyond AA because there's more secular recovery, more peer-to-peer options than just AA. I've been to many. I've read a lot of their literature. I like it. I recommend it. And I'm no expert because I've been to refuge recovery or to life ring meetings, but I don't want to get all AA-centric. Academics have studied and compared the different modalities against the AA or 12-step approach. Most recently, our 85-year-old AA way of doing things was tested against life ring, smart recovery, and women for sobriety. Well, results showed that none of these more contemporary approaches showed better outcomes. None of them were any worse in effectiveness compared to the AA model. Of course, some people will prefer one, and some will be more effective doing this modality versus that modality. But the total numbers came out about even. The Journal of Substance Abuse uh, Treatment Findings said that they uh, suggested no difference in the efficacy of Women for Sobriety, Life Ring, Smart versus 12-step groups, suggesting no difference depending which group went where. The study made a valuable contribution in view of the fact that extremely limited evidence on these mutual aid alternatives is available. Results tentatively suggest that Women for Sobriety, Life Ring, or SMART are as effective as 12-step groups, and that those with alcohol and other drug dependency, this population, to have the best odds of success, and success being in this particular test, was a lifetime of total abstinence, an optimal care plan might involve a broad array of mutual help groups that support abstinence motivation. 12-step facilitation, which is a clinical approach that involves AA philosophy, well, it's been compared to cognitive behavioral therapy and other clinical remedies to substance use disorder. The Cochrane study reports the following. The evidence suggests that 42% of participants participating in AA would remain completely abstinent over one year, compared to 35% of participants receiving other treatments, including cognitive behavioral therapy. The effect is achieved largely by fostering increased AA participation beyond the end of the 12-step facilitation program, which means that not only is it important in the treatment center, but that they get these people engaged in the AA community afterwards.
afterwards. So AA had a 42% success rate in this case versus a 35% success rate for other modalities. And their success is based on being continually abstinent without interruption for a whole year. When compared to other treatment approaches, Alcoholics Anonymous may perform just as well at reducing drinking intensity, negative alcohol-related consequences, and addiction severity. So in other words, those people who uh, didn't fall into the 42%, 100% success rate, they still had better outcomes. Their quality of life was improved by going to AA. Dr. John Kelly, Elizabeth Spallin, professor of uh, psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and director of the Massachusetts General Hospital Recovery Research Institute said, alcohol use disorder can be devastating for individuals and their families, and it presents a significant worldwide costly public health problem. Alcoholics Anonymous is a well-known free mutual health fellowship that helps people recover and improve their quality of life. Sounds kind of like a commercial. <laughs> it was a, a legitimate Harvard study and not a, <laughs> yeah, not a public service announcement for AA. AA isn't foolproof, but it is effective when compared to other interventions. Now, if you're new to recovery and you're listening to me, you're going, wait, wait, what are you saying here? 42% success rate? That's the best I can hope for? That's not success at all. That's a failure in any sort of measured way of what success and failure is, right? It isn't even 50%. I'm looking for better odds. I understand why you might feel that way. So 42% stayed sober without interruption for a whole year. But many others who did relapse find their way back to sobriety and find sustained, enjoyable, meaningful sobriety. Also, while it's not the topic for today's conversation, there are clearly identifiable activities and regular practices that have a dramatic influence on if you're going to be part of that 42% that make it or the 58% that don't. It's not all left to chance. Topic for another day. So is secular AA better or worse than more religious AA? I don't know. Although I'm curious about outcome rates compared to worldviews. I haven't seen a study. But irreligious AA is legitimate. And we have success stories going back as far as AA history goes. Let's take a look at a more secular worldview. The Pew Research Organization has closely followed worldview trends in the U.S. and throughout the whole world. In 2008, they reported that of 102 countries surveyed, the U.S. is the only one that had both above-average GDP per capita and above-average frequency of daily prayer. So that isn't the case for Canada, Eastern or Western Europe, the UK, Australia, China. The USA is unique in developed countries in terms of its religiosity. Now, the US is where AA was created, 
and America is where over half of all AA members still live. So while AA views may seem dated or superstitious to many of us, to the majority of AA, these ideas and rituals at meetings are at least culturally familiar. Also, while the majority of AA is in no hurry to change, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, the view from Canada, Europe, or other places might seem a little bit different. In 2019, we learned from Pew Research that about 30% of the world holds the Judeo-Christian worldview assumed as fact in AA literature. Another 23% of the world follow Islam, where there is neither a deity called God and he ain't a he. <laughs> um, Allah is uh, sexless and uh, beyond uh, human uh, imaginings in terms of picturing him. Now, nuns were 16% of the world population, having no relationship with supernatural beliefs. Of course, Pew and other researchers find that the irreligious ranks are even higher among the millennial and Gen X crowds. 38% of 18 to 29-year-olds are irreligious, and 29% of 30 to 39-year-olds are also no God, please, I'm millennial. Some of this age group are now navigating their way through substance use disorder and recovery. I was at my first meeting at the age of 14 and sober, although it wasn't the way I planned it by the age of 16. So I really wonder how AA would look to today's uh, teenager or anyone under the age of 40. Compare today's landscape to the 1939 USA in which AA's earliest literature was written. Back then, 95% of America subscribed to the man-in-the-sky worldview. 5% were atheists, and less than one-half of 1% one were from some non-God religion or multi multiple God religions. In 2019, we learned that uh, the religiously unaffiliated, including atheists, agnostics, and people who don't identify with any religion, w were harassed by governments, private groups, in 23 countries, and this was up 14% from the previous year. Psychology Today writer uh, Philip uh, Zuckerman he started using the term secular phobia to describe the measurable hatred and irrational fear that Americans and other believers have for atheists. There are still some states where you can't run for office if you're an atheist. Statistically, if you're in a child custody battle and you're an atheist, you are statistically less likely to get custody. And Americans in a survey irrationally equate atheists with immorality and being unpatriotic, neither of which bear out any truth in testing. Eric C. will tell you, there are, he wrote an article actually called Atheists and Foxholes. AAs tend to view atheists as intellectual holdouts whose sobriety is on shaky ground until they come around to the reality of a 
supernatural power greater than ourselves. So I probably don't have to tell you this, but here are some of the things many uh, candid atheists and agnostics will hear in AA. There's seven. One, why are you people so angry? Two, why don't you keep an open mind? Three, keep coming back. You'll get it eventually. Four, the only purpose of the 12 steps is to achieve God consciousness. Five, I once believed as you believe. Then I got over my resentment against God. Six, fake it until you make it. Seven, why don't you just go start your own fellowship if you don't want to believe in God? It could be, for some theists, asking why we are so angry might be projection. Studies show that religious adherents, they're hostile towards the irreligious. Yes, spiritual giants sometimes disrespect their secular peers. At times of existential angst or an existential threat like a pandemic, uh, this is a time where we, and I'm talking about both the scientifically minded and the supernatural variety, all of us double down on our world view. But the non-believer minority in AA, at times like this, we're more likely to face microaggression and unconscious hostility or more threatening behavior from the majority who live by God's will, not their own. This is going to be true throughout the COVID threat. You're going to hear a lot more kooky talk about God's will for planet Earth. And all of us, believers and non-believers, will have a tendency to be snappier or sarcastic. Now, when I get going, it's, oh, God could and would if he existed, or, isn't this a program of rigorous honesty? How can I cling to delusions of a man in the sky? Isn't that magical thinking? Just the opposite of being returned to sanity? See, once I get going, I can be as uh, intolerant, belligerent, passive-aggressive as the next guy. Generally, I don't bite when someone says, I'll pray for you, Joe, but you must believe in God. Who made that pretty flower over there? Only God can keep you sober if you're a real alcoholic. Or whatever the challenge logic uh, might come out as. I generally don't bite, but at times like these, everyone has thinner skin. So if everyone can be mean or dismissive regarding their beliefs, or regarding the beliefs of others, rather, isn't it a level playing field? Well, it would be if there were an equal number of faith-based and reason-based AA members. Dependence on a higher power, this dominates the fellowship and the literature, some of which arguably could use, you know what I mean, a contemporary makeover. Systemic discrimination exists in AA rituals and readings, and the predominant views. Now, the same systemic discrimination holds true for youth, 
women in the LGBTQ community could also be said about visible minorities, which are another underrepresented population in AA. So dismissing underrepresented populations is baked into our writing and rituals. But I don't think that was the intention. I think that's just because it's been left unchanged. It hasn't been kept up to date. Uh, a recent study called Reality Check, Being Non-Religious in America. This was from 2019. And uh, here's the hot off the press stuff anyway. So to whom and when do you conceal your irreligious worldview? The American Atheist conducted this 2019 U.S. Secular Survey, and it reveals how we relate to the world as far as concealment of our non-religious identity. How many of us stay in the closet, that is. Yeah, so this was American Atheists, the other AA, <laughs> this survey poses a number of questions where respondents answer never, rarely, sometimes, mostly, and or always. When relating to friends and acquaintances, only a quarter of non-believers never conceal their worldview. 19% always or mostly keep their beliefs to themselves. When dealing with strangers, only 20% never conceal, while 44 mostly or always conceal. Even to immediate family, 31% of participants mostly or always conceal their worldview from their immediate family. For secular people in recovery from addiction, this is like a double stigma. We might not always feel free to mention our cocaine addiction in a job interview, or even the family members. We have stigma that comes with substance or process addiction. Try sharing an insightful tidbit you heard at a Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous meeting next time you're at a parent-teacher association meeting. See how that alters your peers' perception of you and the way they treat you. So addiction brings about stigma and discrimination and it's a double whammy to be discriminated against in our AA meeting because we think the idea of God is crazy talk. Stigma and discrimination towards respondents of the U.S. Secular Survey varied widely from state to state. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Being an atheist in Mississippi or Utah is a more troubling experience than if you lived in California or Connecticut. Negative experiences of secular Americans range from loneliness and the lack of support network to threats of actual physical violence. I'm quoting here, to understand how minority stress affects non-religious people, we analyzed how discrimination and stigmatization affect participants' loneliness and likelihood of depression. Our data shows that participants who experience discrimination or high levels of stigmatization because of their non-religious identity were more likely to screen positive for depression 
and to experience greater loneliness. So what do you need when you come to recovery? You need a sense of community. Loneliness isn't a sense of community. You need to work on your self-image and your mental health. So it's pretty relevant uh, to our experience in AA. And uh, if you go to the episode 53 notes, I'll have a link to the whole thing if you're interested. Microaggression and stigmatization come in several forms for American society at large. Some of us can relate to this from our 12-step room experience. Being asked to join in thanking God, only 15% never experience this. 35% frequently or almost always were in this uncomfortable position. Similar results came for questions about being asked to or encouraged to pretend that you do hold a religious or theistic belief, going along with religious rituals so as not to stir the pot, not to cause any trouble. Also common, being talked about behind our backs for being irreligious, being excluded from social events, and being ignored, isolated, and rejected. Now there's a what I call a liberal mythology in AA, you can tell me if you think I'm being fair about this. Why is AA liberalism a myth? Well, AA has its own culture to some extent. It's true that AA, the AA group, is just a microcosm of the society just outside our meeting doors. AA boasts that we are inclusive, never exclusive. It's our collective creed. Is that true? You see, where the rubber hits the road, not every God-rejecting AA is treated equally by the conforming to the norm majority. The second most popular pamphlet in AA is called A Newcomer Ask, and in there there's a very relevant Q&A. Question, there's a lot of God talk though, isn't there? Answer, the majority of AA members believe that we have found the solution to our drinking problem not through individual willpower, but through a power greater than ourselves. However, everyone defines this power as she or he wishes. Many people call it God. Others think of the AA group. Still others don't believe in it at all. There is room in AA for people of all shades of belief and non-belief. So this is AA policy, and it's great. But practice might not be that simple, because it doesn't mean that AAs won't snipe at each other. AAs don't transcend the world outside our meeting doors. We hold the same biases that everybody else does. We react to our biases like anybody else does. Many of the times it's completely unconscious. So it's also true that AA is made up of all stripes, people who believe in a higher power, others who don't, people who work the 12 steps, people who do not. We're human, we're tribal, and like-minded people tend to collect together in echo chambers more than are inclusive and tolerant in a perfect world order. Like other special purpose groups, there is a need for secular AA meetings. 
And these meetings serve a real and legitimate AA purpose. So this is the good news part of this Welcome to Secular AA podcast. (laughs) AA without a prayer is more accessible than ever before. I mean, everyone can find a Zoom meeting if they've got Wi-Fi and think to look. AA Without a Prayer uh, first started in Chicago in 1975. It was called Quad A, Alcoholics Anonymous for Atheists and Agnostics. And this zeitgeist spread across Chicago and then found its way to Hollywood, New York, other places, Austin, Texas. By the turn of the century, there were 40 agnostic atheist AA meetings worldwide. Some of them were 25 years old. Today there's over 500 secular meetings. For people too remote to find an irreligious AA meeting in an urban center or a college town where liberal-leaning AA meetings flourish, this pandemic has transformed most of AA onto Zoom, making secular AA accessible to anyone with internet or even a phone. You can still get to a, a Zoom meeting, which is better than nothing. So I just said that the secular meeting movement dates back to 1975, but really it goes back further. Every AA meeting governs itself, setting its own primary purpose. We talked about that in, in Tradition too. Twenty years before the first Quad A meeting in Chicago, the first atheist agnostic group there, The second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous was published. That's 1955. Bill W. was looking to make the book uh, more of a bridge builder. One-third of the stories were from women, while only 25% of the 1955 AA population were female. This was a countermeasure to systemic discrimination, although no one used that language at the time. Another story appeared from Dr. Earl M. It was called Physician, Heal Thyself. It now appears on page 301 of the fourth edition of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. This man and his fellows in the forum group of AA in San Francisco would write a secular interpretation of the 12-step precepts I read about this in the 1989 book, Physician Heal Thyself, 35 Years of Adventures in Sobriety by an AA Old-Timer. So he wrote this book by the same title as his AA story with 35 years of experience, and he had a lot of adventures, that's for sure. But one of them was in 1965, he saw, and the fellows in his group saw, that there were two groups of people that seemed to be getting a a bum rap in AA or weren't getting the attention that they thought they deserved. And they were people addicted to things other than just booze, and they were atheists and agnostics, put off by the God stuff. So what they read in their meetings is the 10 steps for the forum group. One. We realize deeply that we cannot handle mind-altering drugs safely. Our attempts to do so court disaster. 
two, we commit ourselves to abstinence. We welcome nature's healing process into our lives. Three, in the group, we discuss our common problems in recovery. To do so hastens healing. Four, we find a friend, usually also recovering, with whom we can discuss our deepest guarded secrets. Release and freedom become ours. Five, by making amends to ourselves and to others, we put to rest past injuries. Six, when we face our emotional problems squarely, we discover that change automatically happens. We do not seek change, it simply occurs. Seven, our lives are orderly and full of meaning as we live second for second. Eight, recovery together constitutes a fabric of unity. Each of us, however, follows a unique, personalized pattern of recovery. Nine, we share our lives with those who are still drinking or using. Many of them decide to join us. And ten, our meeting doors are open to all users of mind-altering substances. The welcome mat is in full view. So what do you think? Sacrilegious? If nothing's forbidden and nothing's sacred in AA, I guess not. So that was 1965. In AA Comes of Age, Bill W. writes about Buddhist AA. They wanted to replace the word God with good. So the practice would be compatible with their non-theistic beliefs. In A Comes of Age from 1957, we read, To some of us, the idea of substituting good for God in the 12 steps seems like a watering down of AA's message. But here we must remember that AA's steps are suggestions only. A belief in them as they stand is not at all a requirement for membership among us. This liberty has made AA available to thousands who never would have tried at all had we insisted on the 12 steps just as written. Uh, going back further, some members were pretty put off at the 1953 General Service Conference. That's where representatives from all over Canada and the States gather to go through AA's business each year. And members and groups were customizing the 12 steps. Now, these notes that I'm going to read from, at one time they were only available to archive raiders who got permission from GSO to visit New York's or Bedford Hills archives and review everything that was said, everything that was written about our collective history. Now there's a new book. It includes several Bill W. speeches transcribed from the annual General Service Conference. And here's what was going on at the third conference transcribed from uh, Bill's speech. The topic is about customizing the 12 steps. It amazes me how in distant lands the same pioneering story is being reenacted. Some years ago the 12 steps came to the attention of a Swede. He takes a look at the program and he thinks we don't need 12 steps. His idea was that we only needed seven. So in Sweden today there are only seven steps. 
do you think we should write these Swedes and say you can't belong to Alcoholics Anonymous unless you print those 12 steps the way we got them? No, they were merely going through the old pioneering process that we went through. There is one of our traditions that really guarantees every group the absolute right to violate all of the rest of the traditions if they wish to. We say each group is autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. And you must remember that these are suggested traditions. When we say each group is autonomous, that means in effect they have the right to be wrong from the viewpoint of the rest of us. My feeling is that the more we insist on strict conformity to these steps and traditions, the more resistance against them we create. And if any improvements are to come, who knows? We may get those improvements from anywhere. So that was Bill Wilson, the author of the steps, <laughs> in 1953. Have you ever seen the Russell Brand 12 steps? The first four are admitted you are fucked. Two, could you be unfucked? Three, are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? Four, made a list of people we fucked and the things and people who fucked us up. That's from recovery, freedom from addictions, freedom from our addictions. Now, I don't presume to be able to speak for a dead man, but everything I've seen or heard about Bill Wilson says if he were here today, he would laugh at those Russell Brand 12 steps, and he would love uh, the variation. About the AA suggested 12 steps. They are suggested, i.e. open to interpretation, i.e. optional. Some secular AA groups read their own interpretation of the AA steps. Saw's God. A good number of secular AA groups don't write, read, or talk about the steps at all. The 1973 AA conference-approved book Living Sober is a popular conversation starter for secular meetings. There are a host of other books about AA not conference-approved, written by AA members like you or me. Since I first came to 12-step rooms in the mid-1970s, I've seen glorious examples of AA sobriety in people who never worked the 12 steps. Or they started them and thought it was kooky. Or they didn't come to AA for therapy, just sobriety and camaraderie. Some of these people are dead now, but never stumbled back to drinking. Some are 40 or 50 years sober now, both alcohol and 12-step free. The best argument for a 12-step free life in AA is John Loritzen's A Freethinker in AA. It's how he got and stays sober. He's never done a personal inventory or the rest of it. Not intentionally, anyway. So, people who don't work the steps, sure, they accept that they're defeated by alcohol or their drug of choice. They're willing to help other alcoholics. They try to be better people, so you might think 
Well, they are a shining example of the 12 steps in action. Think it. Go ahead. <laughs> I wouldn't advise you to tell them that. You might get an earful. In the 1990s, secular AA literature started emerging. I don't know, maybe because AA was growing more rigid in some neighborhoods. Maybe it was a reaction to fundamentalism. But in short order, three books I still recommend came out in no order of relevance or quality. Philip Z's A Skeptic's Guide to the Twelve Steps. Charlotte Davis Castle's Many Roads, One Journey, Moving Beyond the Twelve Steps. And from Dr. Martha Cleveland and Arliss G., The Alternative Twelve Steps, A Secular Guide to Recovery, which went out of print, but it was brought back by AA Agnostica and is available and is very popular in secular meetings today. If that's all too last century for you, there's more. There are memoirs, how-to agnostically books. There's books about the 12 steps, not for atheists and agnostics, but by atheists and agnostics. The Big Book Explained by Archer Vox, Alex M., or Dale K., A Secular Sobriety, for instance. These are don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, folks. If you have a relationship with this 1939 legend of a book, this could be therapeutic for your relationship. Uh, Roger C. has some great books at AA Agnostica. Maria Hornbacker's 2011 Waiting, A Non-Believer's Higher Power. Vince Hawking's A Whole Collection of Great Books. Jeffrey Munn and Bill W., a different Bill W. This one's an engineer and still alive today. In 2018, 2019, they both wrote books separately on uh, the 12 steps. There's proactive 12-step books, humanist approaches. I wrote a daily reflection book, the first secular ever. I'm happy to report uh, there are more now, but that was Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. If you're listening to this on a smartphone or wherever you're at, uh, check rebelliondogspublishing.com. Click on the reading room. All of these books and more are are there. You, they're one click away from Amazon. Oh, Steve K., Adam N., both authors of books I've read, and I'm going to read those books again. They're great. I don't know about you, but my favorite books are like songs. Listening to a great song just once is no good. I have to go back at it again. There are also some great history books and science books uh, in the reading room page. All very sensible, all very secular. AA has stepped up to the plate also. If you haven't been to an AA meeting for a long time, in the last few years, well, they've been promising, and a GSO has been reading the tea leaves. So, after devoting a whole magazine to stories of atheists and agnostics in AA Grapevine, with the help of some of our constituents in the secular community, they scoured their archives and put together a collection called One Big Tent, 
atheist and agnostic members share their experience, strength, and hope. This particular Grapevine book holds the record for having the most pre-orders of any of their collections, including the LGBTQ plus books, women's, young people's, old-timers, newcomers, Bill W. collections. All of those collections are all available. Uh, this one just happened to be the most anticipated. AA World Service has had more than a couple of swings and misses in attempts to write a pamphlet for agnostics and atheists. A noble effort was launched in 2010 and 2013. Many atheists and agnostic AA stories were gathered by GSO with the intention of presenting a draft pamphlet to get the approval of the General Service Conference. It failed. It got mothballed. There was a consolation prize called Many Paths to Spirituality, P84, if you're looking it up. It tries to please everyone. I like it more than most. <laughs> but let me tell you what I've heard. <laughs> Believers and non-believers alike hate it. Read it yourself and you tell me what you think. One great thing that um, our friend Eric C. from Michigan pointed out to me anyway was, uh, I guess, the crowning achievement of this pamphlet. It opens with a 1965 AA World Conference speech excerpt from Bill W. himself. It's very friendly to liberal adapters of AA. And now, because it appears in AA print, it's official conference-approved AA literature. So there's no going back on it. So this was from Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, Canada. Same place uh, that the Responsibility Declaration came from. And later it was in Grapevine, July 1965. Bill Wilson said from the podium and then later wrote, Newcomers are approaching AA at the rate of tens of thousands yearly. They represent almost every belief and attitude imaginable. We have atheists and agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion. In AA, we're supposed to be bound together in a kinship of common suffering. Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever, should be a first consideration for all of us. Let's not, therefore, pressure anyone with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each other the respect and love that's due to every human being as we try to make our way towards the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. And let us remember that each alcoholic among us is a member of AA, so long as they so declare. It's on the books. Read it and weep, fundies. Call RAA watered down AA all you like. Tell whoever you like that we're killing newcomers. We're reading Living Silver. Ooh. <laughs> we'll help who we can our way. You keep helping who you can your way. For me personally, your big book, Meetings, is a repetitive strain disorder. It wouldn't have worked for me when I was new, 
wouldn't have worked for me later. But it's working for someone, so keep on going. We're happy to send your way anyone who wants an AA with the assurance of a God is doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now, honestly, if I could believe that, I would. Oh, I would. But I can't, so I won't. And reality isn't a consolation prize. It's really not so bad. So the General Service Conference of AA in Canada couldn't, wouldn't create a collection of stories about AA non-believers who do AA without a conversion experience. But as chance would have it, the General Service Conference of the United Kingdom, they crafted, wrote, and approved the God Word, Agnostics and Atheists in AA. And thanks to the petitioning of many secular AA groups from Arizona and Kansas to New York and Toronto, places between the 2018 General Service Conference, by overwhelming substantial unanimity, voted to adopt and amend the God Word. And by amending it, it is now available not only in English, but French and Spanish. Not everyone in our community loves this pamphlet. It represents a certain candid, proud, irreligious AA, but it does fall short of representing the widest range of secular views, including our more radical anti-establishment voices. And these are voices that deserve just as much ink as uh, what I call AA apologists. Oh, the big book's not so bad. Oh, while they're praying, I think about my cat. Whatever. <laughs> but hey, it's a start. Changing a pamphlet by adding stories that ought to be far easier than writing a pamphlet from scratch. Maybe that's the future job for you. You who are new to Secular AA, your story needs to be told one day about getting sober virtually in AA during a pandemic, finding Secular AA after being here for a long time. Whatever the story is, I'm going to want to read it. Because AA now is just one click away from wherever you're at. And if you're finding secular AA allows you to be more authentic, more integral, if you can lean into the AA process with more gusto, this is a story that needs to be heard. Someone else needs to hear it. So there's your long-winded, welcome to secular AA. <laughs> It's sometimes good for the rest of us to review how far we've come. You know, I was listening to John. He was talking about the turning point of the first ever international secular AA conference. It was called We Agnostics and Freethinkers AA Convention or Conference in Santa Monica in 2014. Because so many people had their own We Agnostics meeting, or whatever they called it, their Free Thinkers meeting, their Humanist AA meeting, Quad A, whatever. They thought they were the only ones. They didn't know there was this whole world of secular AA. And it brought together people who lived remote from We Agnostics or secular AA meetings. 
and they went home and started their own. It was a real turning point. That was 2014 in Santa Monica. We went to Austin in 2016. Toronto hosted the International Conference of Secular AA in 2018. And if it weren't for a pandemic, Washington would be getting ready for our 2020 convention conference uh, in late October. That's been postponed, reconvened to October 29th to 31st, 2021. There's more tales to tell. We'll do that at another time. Notes on everything I've quoted and everything I've touched on can be found at the podcast page, Rebellious Radio, for Rebellion Dogs Radio. Uh, We're going out with some music. It is a perfect anthem for pandemic life. This is a Montreal punk band called No Bro, N-O-B-R-O. It's all women. And they are a great band, period. Not because of squat. And you think AA members are having a hard time during this pandemic. So are artists. They make their livelihood out of touring. They can't tour. So if you like this song, maybe consider buying it. If you don't like this song, buy something else. (laughs) Thanks for being part of Rebellion Dogs Radio. It's been great having you along. Wouldn't do it without you. See you online. This is No Bro. The song is Don't Die.
This is Willow F. from Seattle, Washington. You're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio. <laughs> 